0: It's time for Tuesday Terror, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Altergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed, and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, well, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. When we left our hero, he had just arrived at the Aldergate Museum, where an overdue banquet and a much-anticipated meeting with the University Council await him. This is Day 7, Part 5. Rendezvous at the Aldergate Museum. It is the seventh day of the return to Aldergate. The time and place of writing is a bit after midnight in the Arkwell Privy Library atop the manse of the Vice Chancellor. We begin. Behind you, the medieval wooden doors of the museum swung closed. Well, No, not exactly. The wicket gate swung closed. Those monstrous doors probably haven't been opened in a century. Even the wicket gate is ten foot high, though it still shrieked like a Republican as Baz laboriously hauled it shut. The effort and the noise forced her to break off her monologue. She was still briefing you as hard as she could brief. Making up for the time you'd lost on the ride over. And at last you'd a chance to listen to her. No tragic memories or interrupting figments to distract you. You had no excuse for not learning at least a bit about the web of political intrigue into which you were about to leap. (laughs) No, no excuse at all. (sighs) Only, it was no use. You were long gone. Ever since arriving in Museum Square, Baz had been hissing a mile a minute in your ear, and all of it vitally important inside dirt. So-and-so's concerns for the sustainability mandate, Waterface's dim view of the latitude afforded the Office of Invitation, and so on and so forth. No, no good. You were far too busy being 15 again. (laughs) The Aldergate Museum. The funny thing is, you'd only ever visited the place once. It was your first semester at the university, and you'd wandered into Prof Kidley's little study cult on intersectional memetism. Kidders told the group off to go pick an artifact and analyze the historical trajectory of its metacontent. Well, you made an arrangement with one of the older girls that you'd help move her furniture if she'd tell you what the twist any of that meant. She held up her end, let you tag along to the museum with her, let you watch her in awed silence as she browsed and squinted at the exhibits, even that you read over her shoulder when she finally started scribbling notes about a 13th-century duck mallet. <laughs> you still remember your frozen horror as you read and reread the phrase, Figural Ricasso equals Guelphic sexual ambivalence, query? <laughs> the real funny thing is, at the time, it posed your greatest challenge yet to the essential dogma. That, just because you didn't understand the point of it, didn't necessarily make it stupid. Well, no, that's not what's funny. What's funny is that, even though you excused yourself from the cult a few weeks later, the general idea stuck in your head for good, and it's not far off the basic precept that became Lapdaemon. Anyhow... Even if you're no better a memetist now than you were then, even a simple savage like yourself can appreciate the dark majesty of the Aldergate Museum. It is a gorgeous old monster, with a delightfully juicy Wikipedia entry. It was originally built to be a cathedral monastery, and it looks it. Between one thing and another, however... Thing one being silly old Nicky Breakspear, and thing two being Frederick the Second, instruction was almost completed and then wholly abandoned That was back in the eleven hundreds After that, the empty monkery was left moulder for a century or two. The university wanted no part of it, and the Holy See was twice shy about trying to project itself into Aldergate. However, as the town grew up to the east of the core colleges, a succession of careless caretakers tried their hands at occupying the place. In prosperous days it has been a meeting hall and a corn exchange, in time of plague or strife a hospital and infirmary. It has been an orphanage and a prison, a factory and a brothel, and also, from time to time, abandoned entirely. By around 1700, the rotting hulk had become infested with emancipated scholars, who partitioned it with makeshift walls and installed an ingenious but inadequate plumbing system. Wasn't the first time that sort of thing had happened, nor the last. However, the centuries had taken their toll on the timber, and an epidemic of death by falling through the floor attracted the attention of Regent House. Eventually, the Society of Preservationists stepped in to prevent any further damage being done to a unique Altergate landmark. The sops shooed out the squatters and set about reclaiming the place. Rusty lock, wormy stock, and suspicious-smelling barrel. There was no idea, initially, of turning the place into a museum. Since it didn't belong either to a college or to the administration, however, it quickly became recognized as the perfect place to stash bits and bobs that the university didn't want anybody else touching, or that nobody else was willing to touch. Lord Elgin who must have been a sort of early prototype for Sir Reggie, donated a wealth of contraband antiquities at which the British Museum balked. And that's to say nothing of these spicier bequests from bad old C.R. Ah well. One man's treasure is another man's atrocity, and so on. Anyhow... Just as the Aldergate Museum's Twilight Zone status makes it a happy haven for messy backstories, it also makes it a sort of demilitarized zone. An Aldergation Casablanca, which makes it an ideal venue for diplomatically sensitive university affairs. Yes, Bells would be so proud of you, self, old statesman. Perhaps you've got the makings of a politician in you, after all. Not a terribly happy one, but... (sighs) Yes. The University Council will require your attention. (sighs) (sighs) What an odd battlefield you've parachuted into... Between Aldergate scholars, college rivalries are generally quite amicable. Oh, there's good-natured competition, to be sure. One expects a certain amount of partisan jostling during Bump's Night, or the McNaughton fox hunt. But otherwise, things keep pretty civil. After all, it is a rare Aldergation who's got enough obsession in them for both their calling and their college. Not to say there isn't plenty of genial slanging off to go round, and even sincere sentimental attachment. You still sing Hail, Dear Old Eldon House in the shower from time to time. However, well, you may enjoy reading of the worthy exploits of Eldonians, and steadfastly refuse to chuck that green and purple tie you've never worn. But when Beaufax came together, you cut out for Hobson Muse without a second thought. That's just how it is, and how it ought to be. After their first few years, most students prefer to love their colleges from afar, and absence makes the heart grow... up. (laughs) Yes. At the level of college administration, it is quite a different story. When it comes to the university's resources, and who's allowed to use them for what purposes, it is grab as grab can. The college heads go after one another like rats in a sack. What an odd expression. Suppose rats would fight if you stuffed a lot of them into a sack, but wouldn't anyone? And who's walking about with a sackful of live rats, anyhow? That's the question. Bizarre behavior. But yes, college executives are vicious, no-holds-barred bigots where appropriations and allocations are concerned. So, over time, the Aldergate Museum has become a useful, neutral territory for talking terms. No doubt it doesn't hurt that two years ago the preservationists ploughed a few million quid into building a new refectory and hiring Gerdie Alström away from her last Michelin-starred feeding trough to chef the place up a bit. And beyond that, perhaps it's just your own romantic fancy, but you suspect the museum itself must have a cooling effect on heated collegiate wrangling. Surely, even the towering passions of the moment must feel their own pettiness, surrounded by so much history. Quite a diverse portfolio of history, too. Hellenistic, New World, Islamic, and Eastern collections, as well as a few pieces regarded as really hot stuff in proto-antiquity circles and there's at least one home grown curiosity the duasi clock absolutely unique and apparently equally fascinating as a piece of art engineering and psychopathology <laughs> you ought to come back and have a look sometime hmm. but really as far as you're concerned the museum itself is at least as marvelous as anything inside it Early Gothic, prefiguring Saint-Denis, carries all the scars and ornaments you'd expect from a place that's been so heavily occupied and abandoned by turns for so very long. The preservationists fixed what was broken and replaced what was done for, but otherwise they held true to their name. The walls are a patchwork of mosaics and frescoes and bricked-up doors, Stains and scorch marks and graffiti. As for the exterior, it's positively swarmed with a legion of carved stone beasties. Dogs, damsels, and demons. Oddities, obscurities, and obscenities. Oh, and speaking of which, you've learnt something new. Well, put two and two together, at least. Not that they add up to anything of significance. Among the carved homunculi that cling to the museum's face, there's one in particular that caught your attention. You noticed him just as you were headed in. A big, hunched-up old fellow, glowering down from the shadows above the north portal. Dramatical-looking chap. Still waiting patiently after all these centuries to scare open the purses of the faithful flock that isn't coming. A striking figure, and distinctive. That protruding, mouthless jaw, those hollow eyes. You don't know who or what he's meant to be, self old boy, but you have met his fan club. Yes, no doubt, no question. Mr. Gargoyle is the original, of which the Squiggle drones are functional facsimiles. Probably means nothing at all, and can't possibly be important. But aren't you a clever boy for spotting it? (laughs) (sighs) Hmm. You really must be getting on. Books could be written, have been written, no doubt, about all the lovely and especially the not-so-lovely things in the Aldergate Museum. You, however, have got a date with Chandra Mystery in the morning, and at this rate it'll be time for breakfast before you finish writing about dinner. <laughs> dinner and a show. Baz led the way through transept and ambulatory. Upstairs and stairs and stairs. The musical egg came to sing to you, matching your pace through high hallways lined with prints and paintings. It tootled merrily through secluded rooms crammed with bottles and baubles. It dodged gracefully between lurid, leering idols. The castrated and curated gods of long-slaughtered peoples. Coming round one corner, you nearly put your eye out on a sculpted hydra, or gorgon, or something. Vast image out of spiritus mundi. Fat, smooth stone body simply bristling with bronze serpents or tendrils, poking out just at face height. It must have been placed in situ before the last round of new building took place. No chance it could have been brought in through either of the current doors to its little, windowless cell. Hmm. The musical egg seemed to like the spiky brute. It stayed behind, orbiting the tarnished tangle of tentacles. You put your tongue out at it and hurried after Baz. (sighs) More rooms, more stairs. And at last, down a skinny blind corridor lit with candles and lined with tapestries. The tapestry at the far end depicts a scene of celestial warfare. Golden paradise above, red smoky inferno below. And a lot of shiny angels and mutant demons slugging it out in between. In the center, a freestanding spiral staircase connects the warring realms and serves as a perch for a pair of muscular serfs with shields, holding back the horde of fishy, goaty, spider things trying to clamber up from the pit. A powerful image, and a potent symbol. A poet, looking at that stairway to heaven, might see the eternal struggle, not merely between good and evil, but between ignorance and knowledge, or even between human ambition and human frailty. And, because it really is a good and proper metaphor, that poet would be entirely wrong. Because it's not a message, not a symbol. It's just a joke. Pull back the curtain, et voila. The actual spiral staircase itself. And it leads, not to divinity, but to dinner. Potato, potato. Nobody says potato. Who writes these things? (sighs) Baz made a little bow and gestured for you to lead the way. After you, Mr. Vice-Chancellor. Nearly there. For the first time in this whole inaugural saga, you felt a sudden twinge of nervous excitement. You'd been a good sport about making an utter fool of yourself before the eyes of the world, but what awaited you now was quite a different sort of audience. Ah, well. Nothing for it, eh? You put your best foot forward and began the climb. At the top of the steps, you found yourself emerging into a little sort of guard room. Ancient stone, all of it, looked to be part of the original structure, although it's a funny thing to find in a monastery. It must have been built as a final redoubt against Vikings or Royalists or those weird scholars just down the road. No proper windows, just a pair of unglazed arrow loops to north and south, and a single door that could have been the inspiration for the ones at Simon Arkwell's new place. Baz prodded you in the back of the knee to get out of her way. You did, and she joined you in the guardroom, squared up to face you, took a deep breath, and sighed. Right, here we are, at last. She brushed at your shoulder, straightened your tie, giggled offensively. Poor old university. Suppose it had a good run while it lasted. You growled, but before you could retort, she pulled off her scarf and attacked you in the face with it. Honestly. When she had finished being simply the world's worst pest, Baz tilted her head to one side and regarded you. She nodded. It'll have to do. She sighed again. You will try not to make a hash of it, won't you? I have got to work with these people, you know, and I promised them that you wouldn't be entirely awful as VC. You looked at each other for a long moment. Baz shrugged. I'm glad you took the job, Adrian. I'd have hated it if you'd... If anything had... I wasn't sure if you'd agree to come. It's... Well... Things have changed, I know that. Can't ever be how it was. But... I promise... Altergate will be a good home for you again. I'm glad you're back. Well. Fifteen years' worth of emotional insulation ripped away. And right before an important meeting, Baz. Tough of that. <sighs> you didn't hug. Baz isn't a hugger. And nor are you, especially. Anyhow, she'd put on war paint for once in her life, and there was no sense spoiling your shirt front. So, you chucked her on the shoulder, and she fussed with your lapel. And then she turned away, and opened the door. It council members only. ran along. You stepped out onto the rooftop of the museum. Out, but not quite out of doors. The heavy clouds of a November evening darkened above you, and... Plash! A single fat raindrop burst above your head. You found yourself in an arched corridor of green glass, opening out into a great geometric bubble. The faceted dome of the refectory doubled and redoubled the flames of the twelve-branched candelabra on the long table that awaited. And then it was just you and them. Nine against one. The university council, no doubt on its third glass of wine and wondering where in blazes their new VC had got to, broke off its scattered conversations and turned to look at you. Self-regarded counsel. Counsel Counsel-regarded self. (laughs) They're funny things, first impressions. You ought really to have been at your calculating best in that moment. The clockwork butcher operational, coolly noting and assessing every face, every expression. Drinking in the details and giving up nothing in return. You should, at the absolute least, have noticed that there were only nine of them. It wasn't until later that you realized that 18% of the crew was missing. Uff. No, no. At that crucial moment, your real priorities asserted themselves. Ten seconds into your first meeting with the university council, the only thing you could have told a police sketch artist about them was that only four of them had had the decency to dress for the occasion. Uh, it really is the evillest thing one human being can do to another, isn't it? The whole point of a formal dinner is the bloody formal part and when half the party can't be bothered to make an effort, the whole thing just ends up ridiculous. There you were, resplendent in white tie and breast-and-peak tailcoat, about to sit down on terms of, well, near-equality, with two business suits, a cocktail dress, and, entirely unremedied by the master's robe she'd got on over it, a pair of sodding blue jeans... And Mallory Gray. Yes, you weren't quite sure what to make of her then, nor are you quite sure what to make of her now. At least you can attach a name to her. Mallory Gray, she of the Twin Canes. Hair in a short bob, a wine-colored evening shawl over a heather tea gown. Not content to dress wrong for the occasion, she dressed for the wrong century as well. And even then, in that first glance, you could feel the frost of that awful certainty of hers. Not sure how else to put it. That patient, vaguely contemptuous air, as if she'd already read this part of the story and was waiting for everybody else to catch up. Anyhow, yes, so much for your first impression of the University Council. As for their first impression of you, you had probably a three to five second window in which to cap off your entrance with an impressive salutation. Something warm and humble, or wise and noble, or, well, something at any rate. Something more than just ambling to a halt and gawping at the musical egg which had loomed suddenly just outside the window. <sighs> it must have got bored of Mr. Snaky and come looking for you. Quite out of character for it, put in another appearance so soon after the last one. It was much larger than usual, too, and its song had an unaccustomed jangle to it as it drifted off into the lowering sky. You gawped at it. Then you did your best to redirect your gawp at the waiting council. They gawped back. Five more seconds passed. Ten seconds... Everybody in the room waited for somebody else to speak. That did not happen, however. The voice that broke the silence was light, reedy, and wonderfully precise in its intonation, but it did not belong to anyone in the room. Welcome, Sir Adrian, said the disembodied voice. Welcome to Aldergate University. Well then, let the vice chancelloring begin, eh? Our hero may be awkward, late and overdressed, but he has arrived at last. His work is now before him, Two members of the University Council may be absent in body, though it seems at least one of them is present in spirit, but the evening still promises to be a dicey one for a fellow whose clackety brain seems to be rattling rather more even than usual. However, will V.C. Ward manage? Well, we shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at TheAltergatePapers.com. Find The Altergate Papers on Apple Podcasts as well, and spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant. Adrian Ward. Thank you for listening to Tuesday Terror, right here on the Mutual Audio Network please consider subscribing to other Days of the Mutual Feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Thursday Thrillers for action, adventure, mystery, and crime drama, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, the Saturday Story Circle for kids and family alike, and Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very newest in audio releases for the week from our United Artists of Audio right here on the Mutual Audio Network. You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network.